We've all had them in our life. These are the people that are so incredibly talented at something that we want to sit at their feet and have them share their wealth of knowledge with us. But they say no, or they say yes, and then you realize that you wish you had not asked them in the first place. Why? Because they are not teachers, but we continually expect experts to be leaders. Why is that? This is Josh and Brian. Welcome to Curiosity Continuum. Thank you for joining us today on Curiosity Continuum. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, Curiosity Continuum is a movement started by two lifelong friends. That's myself, Brian, and Josh. With a mission to spark your imagination, cultivate the mind, and understand diverse perspectives for a practical application in the common good. You can find us online at curiositycontinuum.com. That's curiositycontinuum.com. And there you'll find all our links to our social media and email. We want to hear from you, the listeners, to be able to understand how we are doing on our journey and also new areas to explore with you on some of the upcoming episodes. So today I'm joined by my good friend, my best friend, Josh LeGrew, on the other end of the microphone over here. Hello. Everybody, uh, today the, the title is about experts is not leadership or doesn't always equal leadership. The goal today is to make sure that we value the role and strengths of everybody where they are, wherever they are on the continuum, and to have proper expectations of those people going forward. So kind of jumping into this a little bit, uh, I think the first time I think about this is really when you're in school or you're in college or something, and you have somebody that's an expert, you know, they, they got their doctorate or doctorates, plural, in some field of study. And a lot of times what colleges do is they say, hey, we'd love to have you at our university or our college. Would you please come? And you know, you'll have your research grant here to work on the topic of your choice because you're really good at that. We'd love to have the prestige of you being with us. Oh, by the way, could you please also teach a couple of classes to our freshmen or sophomores or whatever? And <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> that is always mixed with some kind of mixed result because... The, the teaching gift and the way to communicate something is very different than the doing gift. And um, many times uh, <laughs> had experiences myself and, and I know friends of mine where they're going like, oh my gosh, like my professor of such and such is like a hot mess. Like I have no idea what they're talking about, but yet, you know, they're brilliant. And so, you know, where do you go from there? Absolutely, Brian. Um, I want to just kind of jump in here. This is this hits home for me really really hard. Um, when I went to University of Minnesota, I I took a bunch of mathematics courses. Math teachers, you know, this may come as a shock to people, are not always the greatest of communicators. They are, they are math nerds, number nerds that sit in, you know, kind of poorly lit <laughs> rooms and are crunching numbers all day, and they love they love numbers. And I myself am not like a slouch when it comes to mathematics. I, I, I understand the process. and I, But these were classes I had, you know, they were used to teaching, you know, 9,000 level courses, which were doctoral courses, which you just kind of like go walk into basically. And they just let you research is really what it is about. So these were uh, 2,000 level courses. So these were for, you know, freshmen and sophomores. 
and yes, they there was a huge barrier of disconnect between we knew they were experts. We knew that they knew what they were talking about, but they just couldn't communicate that with us. And that's kind of like this whole uh, thing of this episode that um, Brian and I are going to go with you. And it's not always teachers that are guilty of this. It's just that it's a good example to use because I think almost every person has had this kind of this kind of experience with school, whether it be elementary school, middle school, high school, or college. It's true. You know, one of these things that comes to mind that's not an academic example is uh, years ago there was an interview between Warren Beatty and Barbara Walters. And Warren Beatty is a fabulous actor and has, you know, uh, had quite the career on the silver screen for everything that he's done. And this particular interview was uh, particularly painful to watch. If, if uh, anybody's old enough to remember this interview, Warren uh, just didn't, you know, he was, he had, I think so much in his own mind, gave very simple answers to something, you know, and it was very short. It was really hard, though, when you're sitting down with somebody in an interview format to be able to draw enough. And they even kept it at the end where he said, can I do all that again? And to me, it kind of showed like, you know, this man who is a brilliant actor, you know, didn't have the same skill set to be able to go into an interview to do that because he had the chance to maybe do it again as a take or something like that. And he might've had an off day. Like we all have an off day. The thing that was interesting is that I think people would expect somebody who can be a good actor to also maybe do interviews well or something like that. And that's not necessarily true. It's, it's a different uh, thing to consider. Uh, there's a lot of creative folks, especially they're introverted. They're not necessarily extroverted. And you would think like, well, of course they know how to act on the red carpet. Of course they know how to give a good interview. Of course they know these things, but you're making the assumption that what you see them represent in a role that they're playing or something that that now equivocates to how they are in real life or other things. Many times a creative person needs that space to be able to, you know, to, to dive deep into their own selves, to be able to go do something. And that's why they're effective at what they do. It's not because they're always good just on the spot. There, of course, everybody has a little bit different take on it, but, um, you know, in different and ways that they kind of navigate. But I think some of these times uh, folks need to be almost coached on how to give a good interview by their agent or by somebody that's more experienced because it's not something necessarily natural to them. Absolutely. And I want to kind of give another example, too. Like, and this, this is not going to go um, uh, with teaching, but this is kind of like communication can also go with you know artists and other creative type people um they may be bad communicators but they communicate through their art or work i i remember i i read an article or and a book and i've read lots of things on like the the painters and you know leonardo da vinci and michelangelo Raphael, all those guys they just totally enthralled my mind so i i read a lot about them and michelangelo was always famous for saying um you know, they're like, they have a brick, a block of marble. And, and you know, they would be like, well, how do you know that that was what you wanted to carve out? And he said, he goes, it was always there. He goes, I just needed to remove these unwanted bits and pieces to get to this level. So I think that, you know, that kind of goes into like what we're going to be talking about is, you know, and it's kind of, that's kind of an abstract thing to talk about. But why do we expect 
um, people to communicate well with others, like experts, especially. Like, why do we ex- why do we just ex- assume they know how to do that? Yeah, there's there's different skill sets that apply there, and um, you know, the skill of a leader is not the same sometimes as the subject matter expert or somebody. Um, you know, one of the the most popular comic strips in 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 uh, culture is Dilbert. And I don't know any of my friends who work in tech or in something like that where they find that absolutely hilarious. And it, it has really a lot to do, I think, with the nature of the job. There are so many folks who are so gifted at what they do, whether it's coding or development or you know, network administration or database administration or all those different kinds of things. They're so good at that and they understand the language of how to talk to databases and stuff. But a lot of the project managers and stuff, you know, they become the butt of the jokes because they don't actually, quote, know how to do the work or they're just they don't know what they're talking about. But we have to remember very clearly. I mean, there's a whole show called, you know, the IT crowd because of that particular thing. Like, here's the project manager that knows nothing. And it actually is a very funny show. But it's it's um, it play an exaggeration. It plays on the fact that the leadership and the communication skills to be able to talk to different groups of people is different than being. The experts, you know, uh, I think we've all been to the doctor and I think we've all had good experiences with doctors who you really feel like these people give a care about how you are and what your problems are. And there are other folks. It's like, you know, I don't think you would care if like I died here on the spot and you would just say to the nurse, you know, why don't you code this as death or something in the system? 187, we're done. Exactly. (laughs) Homie is out and we are done. (laughs) Wrap it up and, you know, file it to insurance or something. Um, You know, those folks are are skilled at what they do as far as doctoring and things. And that's why I think you see a lot of unevenness, not only in care. It's not that the person isn't good at the administration of care. It's the administration and care of people to get to the care, you know, those type of things. Some of the things in healthcare are messy, not because you don't have skilled practitioners. It really has to do with the fact that the way these people are wired, that the system is built around them as subject matter experts, or you know, as specialists, not in a way that systematically addresses the needs of people that would move through the system in general. That's why I think you see a lot of conversation around things like that where, the people who are giving the care aren't the people that actually administer the care. And so you see other mechanisms set up to help support that. But again, we need to remember that the person that's doing the surgery isn't always the best person to communicate to the family about what happened during the surgery. Oh, sure. And, and um, Brian gave great examples. You know, a doctor that might be super skilled at doing your surgery, but just has a lousy bedside manner. And in, in medical terms, that's what we we talk about. You know, we said, man, that's a good doctor, but wow, I wish they would talk to me better. And we've all had those. I, I remember the doctor one time, I went to the doctor, I said, doctor, I have this pain, you know, on my side. And this was years ago. And the doctor told me, you know what? Well, it can be three things. You could have cancer, you could have appendicitis, or it could just be a pain. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just, you know, so my mind's flooding with, wow, I've got cancer, I'm dying. And in reality, I just have a pulled muscle or I, I'm just, you know, I'm just, and he is the expert. So you defer to them and you do give them power over you. And that is another interesting thing to kind of discuss. Like, why do we expect that these experts, why do we defer to them? And we just think that you know, they're going to, that their word is, you know, quote unquote gospel. 
Yeah. I think part of it is, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And so we look to somebody who knows more than us. And that's kind of human nature. Like True. If we're really yep. seeking like to learn and to do something, we're going to look to somebody who knows better than me. And if this person says it, you know, um, it's like, well, they would know better than me. But you start to fill in all the gaps of things they don't say. You know, in Josh's example, I've had some something similar. You know, I had a doctor actually give a snide comment back to me. He says, what are you, some kind of doctor? And I'm like, no, but I'm trying to explain to you as best I can. And I'm not just saying, like, you know, I kind of have this thing. And, like, I'm trying to use terms that are meaningful to the doctor so I can be more specific about something, you know. Um, if, if a doctor came in and without even seeing you, like threw a bottle of aspirin at you, said, here, take two of these and, and you're done. And like, you know, bill you out the door. <laughs> Guarantee you that doctor's not going to get your business anymore because it's like, you want them to listen to you and like actually assess correctly. <laughs> Fortunately, I've never had the experience of a doctor like throwing medicine at me and saying like, just be done and get out of my you're office. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah. Just take <laughs> yeah. this and go. But I have had experiences where like uh, the doctor has almost condescended me for, you know, doing my best as a patient to say like, this is actually what's happening in my body and trying to communicate it to them in a way where they're not trying to guess at what it is. You know, like if I can remember the things I learned in, in high school and college about anatomy and physiology and do my best to try to do that, it's at least going to narrow the world so they can, you know, get to an answer quicker. True. And on this same note, like Brian Pose in, in the, in the beginning, why do we continually expect these people to also be leaders? And that, that really is something because I, I think we did touch on it because they have gone to school. They've done, they've committed a large portion of their lives. For example, a doctor commits a minimum of eight years uh, just to, you know, four years just to get into pre-med or medical school where then they're actually seeing patients and they're in residency for, you know, between four and six years. And then after that, that they are, you know, they're continually learning. And why do we expect these people to be, you know, to be the president of the United States or leaders in our community or our church? And I think it is because we do defer because as a societal on a societal level that we appreciate commitment and that type of that type of commitment to one's work or job, you know, not a, it's not a job at that point. It's a career. It's a lifelong endeavor of learning. So I, I do think that we and we, we should realize that not all these people are going to be a charismatic leader type and not all leaders are going to be, you know, a charismatic expert. Yeah. So to speak. The the thing that happens, so I've heard the quote, I think it's pretty common where other people have heard it too. It's like, you know, those who can do and those who can't teach. <laughs> and right. it's one of those things where in that comment, it's kind of, it's, it's a very backhanded way of saying like, well, teachers really aren't the experts at things. And I'll get, I've had teachers in my, my direct life, whether it's not just colleges, it's in other things where not only are they really good doers and they're really good teachers, but you're kind of finding the, the rare instance more so than that. Um, I think for any coach or any type of teacher, the best uh, validation they can get if they truly want their, their students or pupils to succeed is that they have exceeded their own ability to be able to do better than they did you know, and they're taking it further. I had this example in my own life. Uh, I was a, a choir guy with Josh for years and I actually approached the band director in high school because I wanted to learn bass. And he normally didn't take on uh, people that were outside of, you know, the band group. 
But he said, I really see that you want to learn and I'll do that for you. And, uh, you know, I spent a good amount of time with him over the course of probably about a month and a half or so. And I was really dedicated to learn at home. And he said, you know, you have taken it beyond me. He said, you're on your own now. But I appreciated the fact that he not only taught me what he knew, but then he was willing to admit where his own limitations were. And I'm forever grateful for a man named Doug Miller, who was the band director, who gave me my um, start on that instrument. And he was brilliant at piano and all the directing and things like that. And bass was not a thing. He knew enough to play, but he was uh, good enough to see potential in me and nurture that. And those type of people I'm forever grateful for in my own life and for anybody who would do that for somebody else. Yeah, I think Brian puts on a good point is that just because, you know, you know, somebody is teaching you a skill or, you know, talking about something doesn't always mean that they're going to be an expert on something. But if they are an expert, they're up to expert to a certain point. And being able to admit that, you know, hey, this is you, you've reached the limit of what I can teach you. That's important, too. And that's also important for the person to realize, especially with people that are experts in one thing. If you're like a band teacher, for example, or, you know, if you're a IT expert, I mean, I've I have uh, I, 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 I'm not an IT expert, I would say, but I know a lot about IT. And I've had a lot of people come up to me over the years and say, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And I do. And I, I'm not afraid to tell them right out. You know, I don't know. And, and asking the question. I don't know or saying the, the statement I don't know is almost as profound as I do know it, it is acknowledging that you're a human being and you have limitations yeah that's an important humility aspect too I think some people who teach want to and if they're if they're not naturally a good teacher and they want to always be perceived as the expert there's a, a little bit more hubris that comes into it to say like I've reached the end of my knowledge but for those who are really circumspect about it, they really want to say, like, I don't know that, but I want to learn more. And that's a nice position to be in. There was a, uh, a clinical psychiatrist who I'd met who has his doctorate, and he said something really interesting to me. He goes, when you have your doctorate, you know a lot about a little. He said, like, you really become an expert at something very, very narrow. And, uh, you know, the thing that Josh and I talk about is that when you have something like deep like that. And you don't have to have a doctorate. There's some of the smartest people I know never followed a, a, a college career or did anything like that. You know, everybody's gifted differently to have their station in life and express their giftings. The thing that um, you can do is like, if you have an expertise in something like that, you can apply it to other areas of your life to learn, which, uh, you know, for your own self-development is a useful thing because you realize, hey, I can learn something that maybe I didn't know before because I can take the principles I did in learning to be able to apply it to something else. And then when um, you have that and you can share knowledge, again, it goes back to um, you know having the art of the conversation to be able to know how to communicate those things well. And guarantee most of the people, unless you're talking with colleagues in the same field or something, they're not going to have the same depth of knowledge. And you need to know that's okay because they're gifted at something else. And what you share with them they'll value. And if you approach it with a humble attitude and a humble heart to help, it's always going to go very far in your life and everybody else's life. True. And, you know, value people and value the role and, and value what they do. And so if you, if you take nothing away from this, just take that, like take, take that little nugget and just kind of think about it a little bit. 
like sometimes, for example, I call an electrician when I have an electrical problem. I call, I go to the doctor when I have a medical issue. I value these people. I value what they do. So I really think that um, if we're more cognizant of that, they have they have great roles, great positions, and there's nothing that's you know quote unquote beneath somebody. It's what they chose to do, and and that's important to know. Yeah, for sure. So I think this is a good place to put a comma in the conversation. And what I would say is this: is that if you've had a good teacher in your life, you know, go go back and thank them. Say thank you for teaching me this. Give them a shout out on social media or something like that. These people give their lives to teach you something, and it could be somebody that. Uh, believed in you in your career. It could be somebody from your, your elementary years where this teacher made an impact on you. Uh, our encouragement to you is to go uh, compliment somebody well on their strength, you know, and what it meant to you and how it affected you. I guarantee you that'll bless somebody's life. So until next time, this is Brian. And this is Josh. For Curiosity Continuum.